you pray with me? Father, we're trying to sing a reminder into our soul of the place that we want you to have in our life. And we know that in so many different ways we fall short. And in so many different ways we need to come back before you. And we, we come to places like this and we enter into worship to remind ourselves again who we are, to gain our perspective, to find our place, to find our place before this cross, to find our place before you. So God, as we do that in song and sing that to you and remind ourselves, we pray that our, our hearts and our minds and our lives would do the same before your word and what you have to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. There were certain days in graduate school where my wife and I refer to this item right outside our front door as the magic mailbox. We had a magic mailbox. And we called it our magic mailbox because every once in a while there was a shortage of funds to pay tuition or books or bills, and there were times when envelopes of cash showed up in that mailbox. And we were at this time in life where, you, right, where you, you're starting out and, and, you're, and you're living in crappy basement apartments with shag carpet and severely outdated, and you want for more but the problem is as soon as you actually get more and you actually start to establish an income and you establish yourself more and more, there's still a part of you that actually longs for those days. We talk about them with such nostalgia and memory and, and I think the reason why I love them so much is that over and over again they all felt like a repeated trust fall again and again into Jesus' arms. Right When you, when you literally couldn't do it. When I, I don't even know to this day where some of those envelopes came from. I don't even remember telling people we were waiting or struggling financially. There was a time we had one bill due and the exact amount of cash that we needed was in that envelope. That's not even a safe thing to do to leave cash in an envelope outside somebody's door. What I'm beginning to realize, though, is it's so strange that we then build the rest of our lives insulating ourselves from the fact that we don't want to have to do trust falls over and over again. We define within our culture maturity as independence and as strength. And the thing is that every spiritual giant that ever lived actually understood themselves to be a midget, a spiritual midget. Isn't that ironic? And as we talk all this semester about the reasons why people leave the church, I'm beginning to realize in different people's stories that so often we've actually insulated ourselves from the opportunities to experience and to exercise our faith. We insulate and protect ourselves. We have insurance for insurance so we don't have to be in those places of desperate need. So are we spiritually bubble wrapping our children so that they don't get hurt and at the same time actually the very thing that we're trying to protect them from is the very thing we're stealing from them, the opportunity to grow, to get hurt, to fall down. And so does faith itself need to be exercised in order to really grow? So in an effort to make church and our Christian experience more palatable, we've actually made it impotent. The very thing that is required for faith formation might be the very thing we're trying to take out of our Christian experience. 
Think about the stories that you know from the Old Testament when God leads the people out of Egypt and then before the Red Sea in, this, in the face of impossibility where they've reached the end of themselves with no weapons in hand and an army against them. God opens up a sea so they can walk through. When Joshua has to lead people without any instruction of what's supposed to happen in an act of worship around a city in order to take down its walls. God tells Gideon, keep sending more people back, keep sending more people back. I I need you to know in this moment that it ain't about you or your strength or your military strategy. You're going to have to know through an exercise of faith that this is going to be about me. Or when Peter, who had already walked with Jesus, is now instructed, get out of the boat and walk on water. You need to experience the impossible. You need to go beyond the end of yourself so you experience me. And I want to ask all of us this morning, do we have built into our lives a stretching in our faith and our opportunities to grow to such an extent that we're still experiencing a trust fall of faith repeatedly into Jesus' arms again and again? You see, your spiritual maturity won't actually be defined by your strength, but by the awareness of your weakness, by the acknowledgement of your limitations. That's what the spiritual giants all knew, that their greatest strength came from what was done for them and not what they would ever do for themselves. And since the very beginning, we've all kind of wanted to make it at the same time easier, Why do we keep stealing from ourselves the very thing that we need the most? The first murder in the Bible, the story of Cain and Abel, is essentially about this, right? Cain wants to bring a cheaper offering. And the first worship war in history ensues. And somebody ends up dead. But Cain wanted it to be less than. And I think in so many ways we've continued to always attempt that in our own life. Chuck DeGroat in his book, Leaving Egypt, talks about the fact that we need to recapture a theology of suffering, of struggle, of of living in a place where we're repeatedly experiencing a trust fall into the arms of Jesus. And I'm asking you this morning, is that part of your faith formation right now? Are there places where you're allowing yourself to be stretched to such an extent rather than trying to find ways to make it easier? Because maybe if we try to make it easier, we're actually going to make it impotent. I want to talk with you a little bit about ways that we try to hit this easy button in our church experience and the ways that we try to make church easier. Some of these I think are kind of intentional and some of them are really just unintentional. They're the byproducts of being incubated in the culture that we live in today. But regardless, there are things I think that we need to address. And if we're going to stem the tide of this departure out of church, I think these are some of the conversations um, that our generations need to have. First off, our experience today, especially in the West or American culture, is characterized so much by an individualization. We talk so much, even with an importation of this into our Christianity, about a personal faith. Or tell me your personal testimony. This is kind of the language that's never found in Scripture. In fact, a more biblical way of asking that question would be, what's your corporate testimony? Like, tell me all the ways that you grew up inside the people of God. And I'm I'm afraid that as we individualize our faith, as we bring that more and more into ourselves, we are then now dependent only upon the strength that we have rather than the strength of all of those around us. 
And in moments of crisis, we don't have the deeper networks built around us to hold us up. And we're falling into our own arms if we really believe and pursue this sort of idea that our faith is personal. And so I want us to start thinking about what would it look like to truly and genuinely experience community and accountability and inviting discipline back into our lives from others. Telling the people around us, the people that love us over and over again, tell me where I look like Christ and tell me where I don't. And not just individualizing my faith. Individualization played out in a larger, more systematic way is sort of a fractured organization that we have within the church today and our church experiences. This is typified by all our different denominations and by our different congregations with our different styles different ways of doing things and different beliefs. We surround ourselves with similarities. And it's hard to grow in a sea of similarities. We need dissonance and we need some tension. We need to be challenged by one another. How sad is it that regardless of the Bible's vision for what the body of Christ could be, that 10 o'clock on Sunday morning is still the most segregated hour in America every week. The very people who were called to break down these walls and surround themselves with difference and to live into the call of all nations and all tongues and all tribes are the very people who've probably practiced this the worst. We need to recapture a sense of that. Are you surrounding yourself with people who are challenging you? Are you surrounding yourself not just with similarities but with dissonance and difference? It's here where faith grows. There's a peripheralization. I think I just invented that word, but I think you know what I mean when I say that, of what, what we've done with church. It's only really within the last couple generations that the way that we organize our calendars and our lives have really pushed our church and our faith formation activities to the outside. I mean, let's, let's all be honest with ourselves and lay our calendars on, on, open in front of us and acknowledge what our real gods are. The things that we give the most of our time and our treasures to. I don't think anybody woke up one morning, this isn't an accusatory thing, and said, you know what I need to do? I need to make church like a small, small portion of my life. But effectively, that's what's happened is our calendars have become fuller and there's times I think each of us need to throw everything up in the air again and reorganize the parts back in the priorities that we want and not have this reactionary Christianity as our calendars become imposed upon and our faith formation practices get pushed to the outside. Because our kids will grow up watching us wondering, this stuff that you talk about, this all of life, I'm not sure I see it. We are being incubated in a very consumeristic culture. And I think we need to acknowledge and be aware of this fact that all around us, we, we experience an, an inundation of advertising and an invitation to satisfy our longings and our desires with so many different material things. But I think it's, what's most dangerous about that isn't just the stuff, but it's the posture of our heart that gets created by that pattern as we enter into faith formation practices, as we enter into even church. I realized I caught myself doing this the other day. Somebody asked me how church was in the morning, and I listed off all the things that I liked and I didn't like. 
And I think that's pretty typical of all of our experiences. This is our assessment of whether or not church was successful for us, is whether or not it met my expectations. When was the last time I woke up on a Sunday morning and went to church with the intent of dying to myself, of denying myself, of realizing that the culture that I've been swimming in has told me again and again and again, satisfy your desires with all these different things around you. This will bring you joy. But coming back in worship is supposed to be this reminder that I'm not supposed to get everything that I want. And discipleship starts not with self-satisfaction, but with self-denial. Is that still the primary building block of my faith formation practices? Am I waking up each morning? Am I coming back before the cross in a Lenten season? Am I inviting from my community of faith around me? Am I inviting from Scripture? Am I inviting from Christ Himself through the presence of His Spirit a reminder in my life that I really do need to become less and not more? All of these different forces, I think, around us are helpful for us to name, to realize this is kind of what we have to counteract and what we have to really build our faith formation practices and our church experiences to have to deal with because these are the spirits of our age. We're inundated with information, infobesity, and I think too often we've translated that into a way that we pass down the Christian faith as well, often believing that a certain dissemination of information will bring about faith formation. But the problem is we've received so much information and I'm not sure we're getting chances to really live that out and stretch our spiritual muscles. And already at this stage of life, are you doing those things? On the small little bits of income that you get, are you tithing on that? In the calendar of your week that's laid out before you, are there opportunities where you're living beyond yourself, having a chance for the fruit of the Spirit to be made manifest and bless others? As we learn to live and move beyond ourselves because those practices need to get worked into our life already now. And finally, I think we're experiencing a little bit of a spiritual Stockholm Syndrome. Maybe you know automatically what I mean when I say that. If you don't know where that term comes from, Stockholm Syndrome, right? In In 1973, Jan Erik Olsen walked into credit banking in Stockholm, Sweden took four people captive, and the criminal psychologist Nils Bigerot assessed the situation and noticed that the the captives actually fell in love with their captor. They were inundated. They were taken with them. They actually defended him in court when this whole incident was done. One human response to being enslaved to something is actually a self-protective measure by falling in love with with that which has taken us captive. See, but Nils Bijerow didn't invent that idea because that happened already when the Israelites left Egypt. And were so afraid of their newfound freedom that they asked Moses to take them back into slavery. At least in Egypt, our, our pots were full. At least in Egypt. And they started to reminisce and long for enslavement. Isn't it interesting that one of the ways we've, every one of us has always attempted to make our Christian experience easier is to make it more black and white to make it more enslaved. And we see this pattern played out through different biblical characters. We see Paul especially rail against this in the book of Galatians because for the new Christians, the freedom that they had found in Christ still wasn't as appealing as the neat and clean and tidiness of legalism. Before the coming of this faith, 
We were held in custody under the law. Locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came. That we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourself with Christ. Listen to the hostage-taking language as Paul talks about what legalism can do to us and the invitation and the reminder that that's exactly the opposite of what Christ came to give. As he continues, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Paul's telling us you will always experience the continual vortex pulling us back towards an oversimplification of our faith, which will be belief in a system of belief and not in a person of God himself. We find comfort in the practices sometimes. The practices themselves, and that, that is made manifest in the critique at times of modern worship forms when people say that's over, it's an emotionalism. It's, it can be done in the same way in traditional worship forms when there's a certain nostalgia for a hymn that we remember when we were a kid and it's played a certain way. And we have to be honest with ourselves that so many of those different things that we're reaching for, even within our faith, even in moments of worship, are still in the ways that we do it and not in the person behind it. That's what Paul's so angry about in Galatians, right? It can't be Jesus and anything else. You can't add any one other practice to this. The second you do, this is the actual slippery slope of Christianity. Once you go down that road, once you open up the possibility there wasn't just enough, the sacrifice of Christ, then we start to insult the work that was done here. We start to minimize its effect, and then we have to start adding into that void over and over and over again. And the thing is, is it's terrifying to follow a person and not our own understanding. Paul keeps going as he offers us the antidote to this. So I say, he says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So what's the antidote to self-indulgence? How do you get to self-denial? The presence of the Holy Spirit within you and its reminders. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You see, the flesh always wants what it can control, and we can only control that which we understand. And so when we minimize our faith experience and not following God into a place of repeatedly learning and through trustfall, but rather being in a place where we think we've got it all figured out or we've got it pinned down, we start to form a Christianity that isn't as fully dependent on Christ himself. Brennan Manning says it like this. The way of trust is a movement into obscurity, into the undefined, into ambiguity, not into some predetermined, clearly delineated plan for the future. The next step discloses itself only out of a discernment of God acting in the desert 
of the present moment. The reality of naked trust is the life of the pilgrim who leaves what is nailed down, obvious and secure, and walks into the unknown without any rational explanation to justify the decision or guarantee the future. Why? Because God has signaled the movement and offered it his presence and promise. The greatest act of trust that you and I will ever make in our lives will be the repeated trust fall into the arms of Christ himself. And we need to ask ourselves repeatedly if we believe in our system of belief or the person behind it. And are we cultivating our faith formation practices and our church experiences in such a way that we're experiencing that over and over and over again? May you experience repeated trust falls. And may you experience the arms of Christ that hold you when you're there. May you be enlivened and refreshed repeatedly by the Holy Spirit and its work in your imagination. May you trust so fully in the person of Jesus and where he is leading in the presence of his Holy Spirit in your life that laws get left so far behind as he leads you into freedom and leads you into newness. May you experience that this Lenten season as we go into Holy Week, the reminder again that all the greatest things that will ever happen in our life will come through the one who wants to make them happen. Have you found the end of yourself in Lent and found the beginning of God? Have you found where your real strength will always come from and where the renewal within the church is going to have to come from? From coming back to the very thing we've always been invited to in the beginning, the single, amazing, beautiful sacrifice of Jesus that sets us free from ever having to perform again. This is your identity and your freedom. This is who you are. This is who we are. Every time we come back here, will you pray with me? Father, shape us. Renew us. Teach us to share in your sufferings. We can also share in your resurrection. Teach us what that means. Father, remind us the effects of the culture that we live in. The ways that we're called to redeem it and speak into it. But help us also to see with great clarity and spiritual discernment the ways that it's colored even our own interaction with you. The way that we see you, the way that we understand how our Christianity works, or the way that we practice it in our churches. Father, help us to come back to a place of dying to ourselves so we can find freedom there. Help us to not seek ways to make our faith easy, but instead to make it significant. Because it's never been about what we do. It's always been about what you've done. May you become greater and we become less so that you can make us really come alive. Help us hear that invitation well this Lenten season. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you rise and receive a parting blessing? Children of God, may you go out into this day and after that, with an ever-present awareness that your identity has been so fully shaped
by the cross and the work of Jesus Christ, that God will never see you without seeing you through that lens. That work is complete. It has been done. And now is being lived out in you. Go in its power and go in its strength. Go for his glory. Amen.